part one section five of the maine woods by henry david thoreau this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one katahdin section five while uncle george steered for a small island near the head of the lake now just visible like a speck on the water we rowed by turns swiftly over its surface singing such boat songs as we could remember the shores seemed at an infinite distance in the moonlight occasionally we paused in our singing and rested on our oars while we listened to hear if the wolves howled for this is a common serenade and my companions affirmed that it was the most dismal and unearthly of sounds but we heard none this time if we did not hear however we did listen not without a reasonable expectation that at least i have to tell only some utterly uncivilized big-throated owl hooted loud and dismally in the drear and bowy wilderness plainly not nervous about his solitary life nor afraid to hear the echoes of his voice there we remembered also that possibly moose were silently watching us from the distant coves or some surly bear or timid caribou had been startled by our singing it was with new emphasis that we sang there the canadian boat song row brothers row the stream runs fast the rapids are near and the daylight's past which describes precisely our own adventure and was inspired by the experience of a similar kind of life for the rapids were ever near and the daylight long past the woods on shore looked dim and many an utawa's tide here emptied into the lake why should we yet our sail unfurl there's not a breath the blue wave to curl but when the wind blows off the shore oh sweetly will rest our weary oar utawa's tide this trembling moon shall see us float o'er thy surges soon at last we glided past the green isle which had been our landmark all joining in the chorus as if by the watery links of rivers and of lakes we were about to float over unmeasured zones of earth bound on unimaginable adventures saint of this green isle hear our prayers o grant us cool heavens and favouring airs about nine o'clock we reached the river and ran our boat into a natural haven between some rocks and drew her out on the sand this camping-ground mccausland had been familiar with in his lumbering days and he now struck it unerringly in the moonlight and we heard the sound of the rill which would supply us with cool water emptying into the lake the first business was to make a fire an operation which was a little delayed by the wetness of the fuel and the ground owing to the heavy showers of the afternoon the fire is the main comfort of the camp whether in summer or winter and is about as ample at one season as at another it is as well for cheerfulness as for warmth and dryness it forms one side of the camp one bright side at any rate some were dispersed to fetch in dead trees and boughs while uncle george felled the birches and beeches which stood convenient and soon we had a fire some ten feet long by three or four high which rapidly dried the sand before it this was calculated to burn all night we next proceeded to pitch our tent which operation was performed by sticking our two spike poles into the ground in a slanting direction about ten feet apart for rafters and then drawing our cotton cloth over them and tying it down at the ends leaving it open in front shed fashion but this evening the wind carried the sparks onto the tent and burned it 
so we hastily drew up the bateau just within the edge of the woods before the fire and propping up one side three or four feet high spread the tent on the ground to lie on and with the corner of a blanket or what more or less we could get to put over us lay down with our heads and bodies under the boat and our feet and legs on the sand toward the fire at first we lay awake talking of our course and finding ourselves in so convenient a posture for studying the heavens with the moon and stars shining in our faces our conversation naturally turned upon astronomy and we recounted by turns the most interesting discoveries in that science but at length we composed ourselves seriously to sleep it was interesting when awakened at midnight to watch the grotesque and fiend-like forms and motions of some one of the party who not being able to sleep had got up silently to arouse the fire and add fresh fuel for a change now stealthily lugging a dead tree from out the dark and heaving it on now stirring up the embers with his fork or tiptoeing about to observe the stars watched perchance by half the prostrate party in breathless silence so much the more intense because they were awake while each supposed his neighbour sound asleep thus aroused i too brought fresh fuel to the fire and then rambled along the sandy shore in the moonlight hoping to meet a moose come down to drink or else a wolf the little rill tinkled the louder and peopled all the wilderness for me and the glassy smoothness of the sleeping lake laving the shores of a new world with the dark fantastic rocks rising here and there from its surface made a scene not easily described it has left such an impression of stern yet gentle wildness on my memory as will not soon be effaced not far from midnight we were one after another awakened by rain falling on our extremities and as each was made aware of the fact by cold or wet he drew a long sigh and then drew up his legs until gradually we had all sidled round from lying at right angles with the boat till our bodies formed an acute angle with it and were wholly protected when next we awoke the moon and stars were shining again and there were signs of dawn in the east i have been thus particular in order to convey some idea of a night in the woods we had soon launched and loaded our boat and leaving our fire blazing were off again before breakfast the lumberers rarely trouble themselves to put out their fires such is the dampness of the primitive forest and this is one cause no doubt of the frequent fires in maine of which we hear so much on smoky days in massachusetts the forests are held cheap after the white pine has been culled out and the explorers and hunters pray for rain only to clear the atmosphere of smoke the woods were so wet to-day however that there was no danger of our fire spreading after poling up half a mile of river or thoroughfare we rode a mile across the foot of pamadumcook lake which is the name given on the map to this whole chain of lakes as if there were but one though they are in each instance distinctly separated by a reach of the river with its narrow and rocky channel and its rapids this lake which is one of the largest stretched northward ten miles to hills and mountains in the distance mccausland pointed to some distant and as yet inaccessible forests of white pine on the sides of a mountain in that direction the joe mary lakes which lay between us and moosehead on the west were recently if they are not still surrounded by some of the best timbered land in the state by another thoroughfare we passed into deep cove a part of the same lake which makes up two miles toward the northeast and rowing two miles across this 
by another short thoroughfare entered ambijijis lake at the entrance to a lake we sometimes observe what is technically called fencing stuff or the unhewn timbers of which booms are formed either secured together in the water or laid up on the rocks and lashed to trees for spring use but it was always startling to discover so plain a trail of civilized man there i remember that i was strangely affected when we were returning by the sight of a ring bolt well drilled into a rock and fastened with lead at the head of this solitary ambijijis lake it was easy to see that driving logs must be an exciting as well as an arduous and dangerous business all winter long the logger goes on piling up the trees which he has trimmed and hauled in some dry ravine at the head of a stream and then in the spring he stands on the bank and whistles for rain and thaw ready to wring the perspiration out of his shirt to swell the tide till suddenly with a whoop and halloo from him shutting his eyes as if to bid farewell to the existing state of things a fair proportion of his winter's work goes scrambling down the country followed by his faithful dogs thaw and rain and freshet and wind the whole pack in full cry toward the orono mills every log is marked with the owner's name cut in the sapwood with an axe or bored with an auger so deep as not to be worn off in the driving and yet not so as to injure the timber and it requires considerable ingenuity to invent new and simple marks where there are so many owners they have quite an alphabet of their own which only the practice can read one of my companions read off from his memorandum book some marks of his own logs among which there were crosses belts crow's feet girdles etc as y girdle crowfoot and various other devices when the logs have run the gauntlet of innumerable rapids and falls each on its own account with more or less jamming and bruising those bearing various owner's marks being mixed up together since all must take advantage of the same freshet they are collected together at the heads of the lakes and surrounded by a boom fence of floating logs to prevent their being dispersed by the wind and are thus towed altogether like a flock of sheep across the lake where there is no current by a windlass or boom head such as we sometimes saw standing on an island or headland and if circumstances permit with the aid of sails and oars sometimes notwithstanding the logs are dispersed over many miles of lake surface in a few hours by winds and freshets and thrown up on distant shores where the driver can pick up only one or two at a time and return with them to the thoroughfare and before he gets his flock well through ambijijis or pamadumcook he makes many a wet and uncomfortable camp on the shore he must be able to navigate a log as if it were a canoe and be as indifferent to cold and wet as a muskrat he uses a few efficient tools a lever commonly of rock maple six or seven feet long with a stout spike in it strongly ferruled on and a long spike pole with a screw at the end of the spike to make it hold the boys along shore learn to walk on floating logs as city boys on sidewalks sometimes the logs are thrown up on rocks in such positions as to be irrecoverable but by another freshet as high or they jam together at rapids and falls and accumulate in vast piles which the driver must start at the risk of his life such is the lumber business which depends on many accidents as the early freezing of the rivers that the team may get up in season a sufficient freshet in the spring to fetch the logs down and many others i quote michaud on lumbering on the kennebec 
then the source of the best white pine lumber carried to england the persons engaged in this branch of industry are generally emigrants from new hampshire in the summer they unite in small companies and traverse these vast solitudes in every direction to ascertain the places in which the pines abound after cutting the grass and converting it into hay for the nourishment of the cattle to be employed in their labor they return home in the beginning of the winter they enter the forests again establish themselves in huts covered with the bark of the canoe birch or the arbor vitae and though the cold is so intense that the mercury sometimes remains for several weeks from forty degrees to fifty degrees fahrenheit below the point of congelation they persevere with unabated courage in their work according to springer the company consists of choppers swampers who make roads barker and loader teamster and cook when the trees are felled they cut them into logs from fourteen to eighteen feet long and by means of their cattle which they employ with great dexterity drag them to the river and after stamping on them a mark of property roll them on to its frozen bosom at the breaking of the ice in the spring they float down with the current the logs that are not drawn the first year adds michaud are attacked by large worms which form holes about two lines in diameter in every direction but if stripped of their bark they will remain uninjured for thirty years ambidigious this quiet sunday morning struck me as the most beautiful lake we had seen it is said to be one of the deepest we had the fairest view of joe mary double top and katahdin from its surface the summit of the latter had a singularly flat tableland appearance like a short highway where a demigod might be let down to take a turn or two in an afternoon to settle his dinner we rode a mile and a half to near the head of the lake and pushing through a field of lily pads landed to cook our breakfast by the side of a large rock known to mccausland our breakfast consisted of tea with hard bread and pork and fried salmon which we ate with forks neatly whittled from alder twigs which grew there off strips of birch bark for plates the tea was black tea without milk to colour or sugar to sweeten it and two tin dippers were our teacups this beverage is as indispensable to the loggers as to any gossiping old women in the land and they no doubt derive great comfort from it here was the site of an old loggers camp remembered by mccausland now overgrown with weeds and bushes in the midst of a dense underwood we noticed a whole brick on a rock in a small run clean and red and square as in a brickyard which had been brought thus far formerly for tamping some of us afterward regretted that we had not carried this on with us to the top of the mountain to be left there for our mark it would certainly have been a simple evidence of civilized man mccausland said that large wooden crosses made of oak still sound were sometimes found standing in this wilderness which were set up by the first catholic missionaries who came through to the kennebec in the next nine miles which were the extent of our voyage and which it took us the rest of the day to get over we rode across several small lakes poled up numerous rapids and thoroughfares and carried over four portages i will give the names and distances for the benefit of future tourists first after leaving ambijigis lake we had a quarter of a mile of rapids to the portage or carry of ninety rods around ambijigis falls then a mile and a half through passamagamet lake which is narrow and river-like to the falls of the same name ambijigis stream coming in on the right then two miles through katapsconigan lake 
to the portage of ninety rods around catapsconigan falls which name signifies carrying place passamagamet stream coming in on the left then three miles through pockwockamus lake a slight expansion of the river to the portage of forty rods around the falls of the same catapsconigan stream coming in on the left then three quarters of a mile through abeljacarmagus lake similar to the last to the portage of forty rods around the falls of the same name then half a mile of rapid water to the sawadnehunk deadwater and the abeljacknagazit stream this is generally the order of names as you ascend the river first the lake or if there is no expansion the deadwater then the falls then the stream emptying into the lake or river above all of the same name first we came to passamagamet lake then to passamagamet falls then to passamagamet stream emptying in this order and identity of names it will be perceived is quite philosophical since the dead water or lake is always at least partially produced by the stream emptying in above and the first fall below which is the outlet of that lake and where that tributary water makes its first plunge also naturally bears the same name End of part one section five recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.